This morning, I want to talk about Noah. In a couple of weeks, several of us will be going to Kentucky to visit the Creation Museum as well as the Ark Encounter. And uh, several had asked me if I would preach some few more lessons on various Bible personalities. And I thought this would be a perfect time to talk about Noah. And the thing is, is that when you go to the Bible, there are great men that can inspire us to be more dedicated to God. You know, when you read about a Peter or a Paul or a Moses or a Noah or a Daniel, you can see people who were real-life folks, just like us. They were people who made mistakes. They were people who sinned on occasion. But they were people who believed God and served God and did well. And Noah is an important biblical character. And I will tell you that I was really disappointed with the movie that came out in 2014. With all of the ability that the filmmakers have now in trying to portray something to us that looks real, that was such a disappointment because it departed from the biblical text. For that reason, I think it's important for us to go back and read and study what the Bible has to say about this man who was a preacher of righteousness. You heard Brother Marty read from 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5 where it says he was a preacher of righteousness. And Lord willing, next Sunday morning we're going to talk about Noah as the builder of an ark. But this morning we want to focus on him as a preacher of righteousness. And in order to do so, we're going to look at three basic ideas all coming primarily from Genesis chapter 6. We're going to look, first of all, at the people. Everyone who preaches has to consider his audience. This morning, I had to plan on who you would be who are sitting here this morning. The majority of you are those who I see every service. But you have to recognize that there may be people from various backgrounds within your audience. And we want to look at the people to whom Mo, or Noah was sent to be a preacher of righteousness. Second of all, we want to look at him as a preacher, particularly verses 7 and 8 as they see Noah as a preacher of righteousness. And then finally, the presentation that he makes. What does he have to say to people? Let's begin with verses 1 through 7. And so if you'll read along with me, I'm going to put it on the screen. Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men, that they were beautiful. And they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his day shall be one hundred and twenty years. There were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward. When the sons of God came in to the daughters of men, they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men of old, men of renown. 
Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created on the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. Let's begin to try to explore what this passage is discussing. First of all, he mentions the sons of God. And when we read that, we're often driven to try to figure out who this might be. There are three different groups of people that have been supposed to have been the sons of God. Some see this as the angels because in the Old Testament, quite frequently, the sons of God refers to the angelic host. And in their minds, the angelic host, the wicked ones, if you were, came down and impregnated the daughters of men, the women on the earth at that time. Others suggest that the term sons of God refers to those who were the royals, those who were the rulers of that day. Particularly some would make reference to Lamech and to his descendants. That is also a way the word is used in the Old Testament. A third way that it could be referred to is the descendants of Seth. He was of the godly seed. If you'll remember, you had Cain and you had Abel. And after Abel was slain, Seth was born. And the line of Seth would have been those of a more godly seed. I don't know that I can give you a specific answer except to the fact that I believe you can eliminate one of those three and that of the angels. Because if you'll remember, in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is having a conversation with the Sadducees. And they have supposed before the Lord that a man might marry a woman, pass away with no child. The second brother would marry, pass away with no child. And then you would have seven. And Jesus' answer was simply this. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels of God in heaven. The angelic host do not conceive children. They're not the kind of beings that were presented as providing the ability to have relations with women. And so for that reason, you could eliminate the angels. It's my personal opinion, and more likely it refers to the descendants of Seth. To those who were of the godly seed, because what... Moses is doing and describing Noah's day is to try to tell you how things got so bad. And here's what you see. You have a world where there's a godly seed choosing spouses. That's the picture. And they're choosing women not on the basis of their character, but on the basis of their beauty. It says they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And they saw that they were beautiful and they wanted them. It reminds me of Samson and looking to his mother and his father 
when he saw a Philistine woman and he said to them, he said, get her for she pleases me well. That's the kind of woman I want. I want one who's beautiful. But you know, when you read 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, he tells women, do not let your adornment be merely outward, the arranging of hair, the wearing of gold, the putting on a fine apparel, but rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. The picture he's trying to give you is a, a woman whose character is what is great about her. And these were choosing women because they were beautiful. And God looked at the wickedness of man and he says, there's only 120 more years before I will bring it to an end. Evidently, God is going to give them a time to repent, a time to make change, but man is not going to do so. There's also an emphasis on the children that is born when the sons of God came in to the daughters of men. And it speaks about them saying that they were the giants. If you're reading another translation, you may see the word Nephilim there. That's actually just a transliterated word from the Hebrew word. And that can mean a race of giants or tall people or a strong person. If you will notice, the record says that they were there before and afterwards. You go to Numbers chapter 13 and verse 33. There we saw giants. The descendants of Anak came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. The picture you have to get is, is there's a, an emphasis on these children now that they're strong and they're powerful. You see, these children were raised with an emphasis on strength. What I see already in the very beginning is an emphasis on beauty over character, an emphasis on strength over character. So let's look at three things here. We want to look at what God saw, what God felt, and what God said. What did God see? God saw wickedness in both thought and deed. In Matthew 15, in verse 19, Jesus was being challenged by people who were saying, you shouldn't eat with unwashed hands. And the Lord's response was very simple to them. He said, it's not what goes in you that defiles you, but what comes out. And then he says, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. All these are what come out of a man. These defile a man. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, Paul would also say, among whom we also once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, now listen carefully, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. The flesh and of the mind. It's both what you think and what you do. Proverbs 4.23, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Micah chapter 2, verse 1, Woe to those who devise iniquity and work out evil on their beds. And in morning light, they practice it because it is in the power of their hand. There's some people who think 
This is what I'm going to do. I mentioned several times how there's all these scams going around, scamming people about paying uh, the IRS, and they try to take people's money. I was called the other day, told that I needed to appear for jury duty for a federal court. Sounded real legitimate to me until they started asking for money. But you see, there are people who think up, who scheme these things. That's the world in which they were living. Psalm 14, 1 through 5, The fool in his set in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have all done abominable works. There's none who does good. Their Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if any who understand, who seek God, they have all turned aside. They've all together become corrupt. There's none who does good. No, not one. You see the picture? God was looking down. What did he see? He saw a world where the thoughts of man was only evil continually. That has got to be awful. Even in the world in which you and I live, as bad as it is, as corrupted as it is, still there are some people who do good. Still there are even evil people who at times think and do good. But this world had digressed to where there was no good at all. Well, what did God feel? God felt sorrow. We often talk about God. We emphasize His attributes. We talk about His mercy toward us. We talk about His justice. But I think sometimes we don't realize God's feelings toward us. And in this case, God was sorry. He was grieved in His heart. It's like Psalm 78, 40. How often they provoked him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. God doesn't want to feel like this. Ezekiel 33, 11. Say to them as I live, says the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked should turn from his way and live Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? God said, I don't take pleasure in people being lost. I don't want to have to punish people. God does have feelings. Luke 19, 41 and 42, Jesus draws near to the city of Jerusalem, and he said, he said, as he cries over, if you had known even you, especially in your day, the things which make for your peace, but they are now they're hidden from your eyes. Jesus is wanting to bless Jerusalem, but he weeps over it. And Ephesians 4 verse 30 says simply, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. So what God saw, what God felt, and then what God said, I will destroy. Those are sad words. Like Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord and its fullness, the world and all those who dwell therein. We all belong to God, and if God chooses in His divine wisdom to bring it to an end, that's His right. We belong to Him. Everything in it. Now, moving swiftly, let's talk about the preacher. You've got to see Him and who He is as He does His job. 
in verses 8 and 9, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is a genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. When you see the words found grace, you go back and you say, did he just stumble upon it and find it? No, no, no. In the Bible, you find something because you seek it. You look for it. Proverbs 12, 2, a good man obtains favor from the Lord. Matthew 7, verse 7 says, Ask and you shall receive, or it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Deuteronomy 4.29, he says, But from there you will seek the Lord your God. Do you know why Noah found favor in God's sight? It's because he was seeking God's favor, wanting it. The Genesis record also says he was a just man, perfect in his generation. When you step back and you see that word perfect, many of us may gather the idea that somehow... Noah was a man who never made a mistake. That's not true at all. In fact, Noah made more than one mistake, but he was always a man seeking God's favor. And that's what made him perfect in his generation. He was just. He treated men fairly. But then it says he walked with God. Genesis chapter 5, verse 24, tells us about Enoch. Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. Amos 3, verse 3 says, Can two walk together unless they are agreed? How could Noah walk with God? Because he and God were on the same page. 2 Peter 2, 5 says that he was a preacher of righteousness. What does that mean to say he was a preacher of righteousness? It could mean two different things or it could may mean both of them. Whenever you see the word of something, it can have two different ideas. Like for instance, in 2 John, about verse 9 and 10, he talks about the doctrine of Christ. Is he talking about the doctrine about Christ? Or the doctrine that Christ himself gave? Both. When you think about Noah being a preacher of righteousness, he was a righteous man who preached, and he was a man who preached righteousness. Which leads me to the third part of our lesson, and that is the presentation when you think about a preacher, a preacher has to have a sermon. He has to have something to say. And you could wonder why God didn't just simply put it into everyone's head. I can't answer that question. I do know from Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 21, For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the message, the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. It was God's plan to have a preacher and a sermon and people be reached that way. You remember what he did when Nineveh was going astray? He sent Jonah. 
That's the reason why today we have preaching. It's not just because it's, okay, we've got to fill up an hour. It's because that's the way God intended man to be persuaded, persuaded by his word. But if a man does not practice what he preaches, no one will listen to him. No one likes to listen to a hypocrite. In 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 27, Paul would say, he said, I have to discipline my body and bring it into bondage, lest when I preach to others, I myself should be disqualified. In other words, whenever the preacher preaches, he preaches to himself. That's what Paul said in Romans 2.21. You who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach to the man should not steal, do you steal? But Noah's message related to their future. Noah had to tell them, there's something in the future that you have to prepare yourself for. Last week in our class, we had been studying the book of 1 Peter. And our class was to study verses 18 through 20 last week. But I told the class I was going to skip that in favor of moving on into chapter 4 because I was going to use it in the lesson this morning. And there Peter writes, For Christ also suffered for once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Now listen carefully to verse 19. By whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient. When, the divine, when once the divine long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. When you read that, particularly verse 19, it speaks of Jesus preaching to the spirits in prison. A lot of people have the idea that when Jesus died, he went and preached to those people in hell or in torments. But if you'll notice carefully, Peter tells you when he did that. He said, while the ark was being prepared. The only proper answer to this is found in 1 Peter chapter 1. When he talks about of which salvation the prophets have sought and searched diligently. Who prophesied of the grace that should come to you. Searching what time or what manner of time the spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating. When he testified beforehand of the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. The spirit of Christ who was in them. It was the spirit of Christ who was preaching in Noah while the ark was being prepared. It was a call to repentance. God is calling on men to change their ways. Don't live like the world. I can assure you one thing. The people to whom Noah preached know better now. They know they should not have lived all those ungodly lives. Every preacher has to look at his audience and say, you've got to prepare for something. Oh, we're not going to prepare for an ark. You see, Peter goes on to talk about the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the elements will melt with fervent heat and the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. 
Oh yes, there's coming a judgment day. There's coming a time in which God will judge us. And wickedness better not be found among us. There better be repentance. I have six short life lessons that I'd like you to walk away with from studying this lessons. Number one, the patience of God is not inexhaustible. We sometimes think that God will just allow us to do whatever we want to do and there will be no judgment day. And that's what the passage that Brother Marty read earlier from 2 Peter chapter 2 is all about. And he talked about the angels who sinned. God cast them down to hell. You talk about the ancient world of Noah. God destroyed them. The cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, he used them also as an example of those who afterward would live ungodly. You see, God's patience is not inexhaustible. Number two, Genesis 6 is to prepare us to see the justice of God and his righteousness in punishing sinners. Do we deserve it if God punishes us? Absolutely. Paul even asked the question in the last part of verse 5 of Romans 3. Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? No, he's not unjust. If I go to hell because of my sins, is God somehow unfair to me? No. I choose my own path. Number three. And perhaps I should have left this sermon to when our young people, more of them were here, but choices for spouses are extremely important. When you read about the sons of God going into the daughters of men and they chose for themselves those who were beautiful, and you start making decisions not on the basis of the content of a person's character, but on the basis of their beauty, you are making a very serious mistake. Brother Dale mentioned Brother Willie's mother. Thought it was a great honor that two of the sons spoke at her memorial service. And they reflected a tremendous respect for a godly mother. Proverbs 31 says, Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Now listen carefully to verse 30. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is passing. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Choose godly women, not just beautiful women. Number four, children become what they are reared to be. It's so sad to read this passage in Genesis and realize that children sometimes can come to where they value beauty and they value power and they value strength more than they do God. What are you teaching your children? Money is the most important thing. Beauty is the most important thing. Pleasure, power. I want you to listen to Malachi 2, verses 15 and 16. He's talking about divorce and how that impacts the family. And he says, but... Did he not make them one? Talking about husband and wife. 
having a remnant of the Spirit, and why one? He seeks a godly offspring. God wants godly children being raised. Therefore take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce, for it covers one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. What is God wanting out of our homes and out of our families? He wants us to rear them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. He wants us to raise godly children. Number five, God has feelings. He is pained, he is grieved, he's sorry when his creation goes astray. I have seen mothers and fathers weep almost uncontrollably for the direction their children have taken. It pains them in their heart. In the same way, when you and I choose to sin, we hurt God. We grieve Him. Number six, sometimes things that are irredeemable must be destroyed. I don't know about you, but there's times when I have built something and when I finish, it's not what I wanted it to be. And the idea is just to scrap it all together. Hebrews chapter 6, 7 and 8 says, For the earth which drinks the rain and often comes upon it and bears herbs, useful for those by whom it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. You go out and you plant a garden, you plant a field, and instead of the crops coming up, what comes up is the weeds and the thorns. What do you do? Most of us would say, we'll turn it under. You don't leave any remnant of the seed if you burn the the field. That's what he's saying must be done. Noah furnishes us a stark reminder that the majority of the world is lost. You look at at, at a group of people who assembles together on Sunday morning to worship God and you say, but what about the masses that are out here in the world and why can't we get them? The truth is, is a man chooses what he wants to do. You remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, 13 and 14. He talks about entering at the narrow gate and wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction and many... Are those who go in by it? Narrow is the gate and difficult is the way to life, and few find it. God has sent preachers to warn, to remind the people about the future. And if I were to ask the question, what's your future? What does it look like? Does it look like God is ready to bless you and to welcome you into a place of safety? Or is your future like that of Noah's day? What a great privilege we have to be able to come to God knowing that He will forgive our sins if we come on His terms. He wants us to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that He was not just a man, but that He was the God in the flesh. And that you and I should look at our sins and say, I'm sorry for what I've done. I want to be made right with God. And 
I'm willing to tell the world that I believe in God and I believe in Jesus and confess His name and then be baptized. That's an immersion in water. The purpose of which is stated in Acts 2 and verse 38 for the remission of sins. The majority of this audience has done that. But you may not have. Here's an opportunity for you. And if you're one of God's children and you recognize sin's invaded your life, it's taken over who you are, and you want to be restored, we'll pray with you. Would you come while we stand and sing?